Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. I love The Next Reel Season 4. Do you know why? I don't. Why? Because we got to talk about my favorite movie, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's not even an adaptation. Uh, no, but it was such a great part of our, of our great Terry Gilliam series. And a few others in that series were adaptations, like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, adapted from Raspi's stories, and La Jete, which inspired 12 Monkeys. Oh, right. And, and for our Man With No Name trilogy, we saw how Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars was basically stolen from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. We added Labor Day to our Jason Reitman series, adapted from Joyce Maynard's novel. Oof, there's one we'll always regret. Our big Stephen King series covered adaptations like The Shining, Cujo, Christine, and Stand By Me, great horror, and coming-of-age tales. Another Coen Brothers adaptation, too. We got to talk about how they turned Homer's The Odyssey into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For our holiday series, we did The Bishop's Wife and The Poseidon Adventure. And who could forget seeing Alec Guinness in the adaptation of Kind Hearts and Coronets during our series dedicated to him. We really need to do more of his films. Truly. We had our first film noir series with classics like Double Indemnity, Detour, and Out of the Past. And our black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe series with The Thin Man, Sweet Smell of Success, Seconds, and King's Row. So many adaptations. Oh, you're not kidding. Dive deeper into these originals and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support our show. Get the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and start reading today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. So my father-in-law, wonderful person, uh, for Christmas, bought me a Blu-ray that I was hoping to get. Oh, Um, what was it? It was Once Upon a Time in America. Okay. The the extended edition. So it's got, you know, the, the longer cut of the film. Um, except for some reason, and, and uh, you know, Christmas came. And he's like, yeah, I don't know why it didn't arrive yet. And so uh, the next day he came over. He's like, look what just arrived. And he handed it to me and it came straight from the from England. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? what? And uh, sure enough, the packaging was from Amazon.co.uk. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, that's weird. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I have no idea how I ended up getting it from, from England, but that's where I ordered it from, uh, apparently. <laughs> so I was like, well, okay. So I opened it up, and of course, it's a Region Zero. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you can't watch it. So I can't play it. And I'm like, well, this is you know, just inane. So I, I go through the whole process of figuring out how to return it so I can get a credit, so I can get like a Region 1 version. And I figured, you know, okay, Amazon, Amazon UK, it's the same thing. Oh, it's you not know, the same thing. Well, uh, yes, I learned that. <laughs> uh, so I, I, you know, I get this, I, I go through the process of shipping it back and I get a credit over, I have to create an account for Amazon UK. You have to create and, a whole new account? Yeah, because I, I don't have a way to credit if i don't have an account there but then do you have to have uh well i'm sure you're going to get to this what about the credit card problem is there some well, sort of I, do they have to give you well you go ahead no it's it's like a gift card okay it's like gift a, card all right yeah so basically i have a promotional credit on amazon uk <laughs> so that you can only get other region zero dvds well and so i'm i'm looking i'm like well maybe i can just through that i can buy a region one from a distributor in the united states and have it shipped to me <laughs> well yes i can do that but for some reason, because I'm ordering from the U.S., they add on all these extra charges to buy something to actually ship it to myself from the U.S. to the U.S. because <laughs> I, I'm ordering it from England. And so I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. This is silly. So I'm like, okay, I will call. I will I'll go through the whole process of doing a chat or call, whatever I can do with Amazon UK to see if I can just transfer the credit over to the U.S. And so I talked to the person over there and a uh, lovely chap. But and he's like, he assures me, oh yes, it's it, it should be fine. We can't do it on our end. You have to get it done from the from Amazon US. What? Let me send them a note to call you, and then they'll touch base and they'll get this sorted out. So if I get an email and then it tells me you know who to call, and so I call and I talk to this person who's just like, no, 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 you can't do that. We're we're different entities, and there's no way that you can transfer any funds from. Amazon UK to Amazon US. And I was like, but the guy just told me and that he, I could. And he also happens to guard the queen. Right, exactly. There's great authority. He wears one of those big hats. It's a big fuzzy hat. <laughs> so I so I couldn't, uh, so the guy wouldn't let me. And so then I, call, I called the UK again, and then I called the US again. And finally, this guy in the US, I explained the whole situation. I'm like, look, it's my, it's my father-in-law. 
He's, he's old. <laughs> he's a little, he gets on the computer. He's daft. He has, yeah, he's daft. He has no <laughs> idea what he was doing. He doesn't know what he's doing on a computer. And he, he ordered this accidentally from the UK. And I don't live in the UK. And he doesn't live in the UK. And there's... There's no way I'm going to be spending this money in the UK. <laughs> so the guy was, you know, in Amazon, they're, they, at least the fourth person on the chain was very understanding. And it was just like, I totally understand. Uh, you know, you're, you're a good customer. We'll credit, I'll give you a promotional credit uh, in, you know, look at the exchange rate, give you a promotional credit so you have the money here. And uh, thanks for being a customer. And, wait, so what does that get? Where can you shop? Well, Do you still have I to can... shop through Co-Ook? Co no, that because that was uh, the U.S. guy. So they, oh. U.S. Amazon gave me a promotion. They just gave credit. you so a free thing. They gave me a free thing. So now I actually have money in both places. So now I've got a promotional credit here. Because did you actually return the movie? Thing. Oh, I did. I shipped it there so I could get this credit in the U.K. <laughs> in the hopes that I could get the credit back to the U.S. <laughs> oh, That's fantastic. Process. You must have talked to somebody <laughs> with a bigger fuzzy hat. I know. It was the U.S. guy. It was the US How do you guy. know they're not wearing big fuzzy hats? <laughs> well, it is football season. That's true. That is true. I should have thought about that. <laughs> uh, so I guess, spoiler alert, have you seen the movie? I still don't have it. No, you've, I... see, but you've seen the movie. No, I haven't seen the movie. You've never seen the movie? Oh, I was hoping to watch the extended edition. That's enormously disappointing. This the story has takes on so much more weight, so much more gravitas. <laughs> no. So just give it to him so he can see the movie for <laughs> <laughs> That's a good story, Andy. I'm glad you uh, seem to have resolved that. Hopefully. Hopefully. Shall we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? <laughs> real everybody i'm pete wright and that there's andy uh, andy amazon co-op nelson good day <laughs> and uh we spoil movies tonight on the show number three in our series on the early works of sir alec guinness with the industrial caper the man in the white suit uh but before we get into that you should learn more about us at the next follow us on twitter and facebook at the next reel and if you fancy yourself savvy and smart as kelsey instagrammer you can join us at Instagram.com slash the next reel and play the Instagram hashtag pony prize, hashtag Joe Jolie is the new Cameron, hashtag Standy versus the people, hashtag guess the movie challenge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what did you think? Hashtag we love hashtags. <laughs> I'm kinda I might be screwing myself with that, but I'm, I feel like I'm on a roll. What you think you of my cat? You didn't. There was not even a chuckle at Kelsey Instagrammer. That was, that's pretty good too, right? It was pretty good. How'd we do <laughs> against the cinematic horde this week, Andrew? I, I think you should go out to Kelsey's uh, Twitter account and tweet that to him. <laughs> I will never do that. <laughs> okay, good. Probably <laughs> for the not better. Funny. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we did pretty good again. It was about Image Force about halfway through the week. Um, it was Throw Mama from the Train uh, this week. Oh, it's I, one uh, of your favorites. I actually do love this movie. I would put this in my guilty pleasures camp. I, I find it <laughs> incredibly silly. I find yeah. it repulsive. Oh, really? I never, well, it's. I never really liked the movie, but that you like it has now, now I find you <laughs> repulsive. <laughs> no. No, it's a great movie. It's it's dark and uh, it's just 
uh, it's just ridiculously fun to watch. I have so much fun watching it. Um, you know, Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito uh, just do a great job in it. And uh, Joe Jolie, uh, 23, actually four images in, figured out the, uh, the uh, magic combination of images and was able to guess that it is indeed Throw Mom from the Train. And uh, Joe Jolie, 23, is entered to win the Pony Prize. Joe Jolie. Mm-hmm. Nice. Don't forget, if you haven't finished uh, or visited uh, thenextreel.com and clicked on the T-shirt in the corner, you should do it uh, so you can own one of your very own uh, commemorative 2014 top five uh, Next Real T-shirts. I haven't taken mine off since I got it three <laughs> three weeks ago. Is that what that smell is? That's right. And see, now, while I have no friends and my family <laughs> has forsaken me, <laughs> I'm doing my part to educate the world about five great films. And it's so worth the sacrifice. Uh, American Apparel, it's super soft, designed by a friend of the show, uh, Joel Micah Harris at joemiha.net. And, of course... You're supporting the show with every purchase, so we thank you so, so much. Here, here. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Uh, I, I have only one other bit of housekeeping. Mm. So we did the uh, Black Hat show on, on the film board oh, last yeah. week. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, and I, <laughs> so a couple of hours go by, we released the show, and I get an email from friend of the show, DC Barnes, mm-hmm. uh, who says... Your review of Black Hat was so bad that I actually just, I'm now actually charged to go see it. I was going to skip it. Thanks, guys. But failure can be so entertaining in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the highest of compliments. I really do. Uh, well, you know, we set him up, so we, he yeah. knew exactly what he's, he's going in for. It's exactly right. That's He's looking exactly forward. Right. It's like, oh, good. This is one that I can uh, I can put, do my own riff tracks with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And even more fun. Uh, he, uh, you know, DC Barnes is the winner of the Force for Change. Yeah. He is now on IMDb. He his character has a name. Ooh. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's sort of mind blowing. He's right at the very bottom. DC Barnes is Katakoyo. 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 Excellent. Yeah. This is now now and he won't tell me this. But now his character has a name, it makes me think his character may actually have lines. That's exciting. That's bananas. <laughs> Every day more bananas. <laughs> so much fun. I'm so excited I can't even take it. I'm looking forward uh, to the day when we can have him on the show and actually talk about I it. I know me too. It's so mysterious. Uh, <laughs> Andy, I think it's time. Let's do trailers. Mine, mine is the is the heavier of the two. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's the one that you know we're coming into award season now. It's the one that people need to be aware of. <laughs> Do go on. <laughs> Mine, you know, what can I say? I I think I bring up Melissa McCarthy trailers every time one comes out because I laugh every time she's on screen. I have so much fun watching her, um, even if the movie is terrible. And uh, let's face it, some of them are. And this one probably will be. But I'm going to see it because I'm sure it's going to be a blast anyway. It's Spy, directed by uh, Paul Feig. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, 
it's just looks really funny. She is a, a she's an analyst for the CIA. She she sits at a desk and and basically is like the phone person who uh, maybe helps some spies or just does desk work. Um, all of the CIA agents are uh, exposed, and so they need someone to go out there, and so they they. Uh, have her go into it because she's invisible. Nobody knows who she is, and it just you know it. You can see where it's going from there. It's just going to be silliness and and uh, tomfoolery. Um, you know, <laughs> the fact that it's a spy movie with Melissa McCarthy as the spy cracks me up. The fact that it also has Jason Statham and Jude Law in it. How as, that as, happened as the I, real spies? Oh my goodness! I think is brilliant. It also has Rose Byrne, uh, Marina Baccarin is in it, uh, Alyssa Janney, uh, Bobby Cannavale, uh, Peter Serafinowicz, and Fifty Cent turns up in it. I mean, it's it's one of those things that it's it's just going to be nonsense. I'm going to totally check my brain at the door when I go in. I'm going to watch the movie and I'm going to have a blast. When, when pray tell, are you going to do that? I'm going to do that in May, May 22nd. Good. Good. <laughs> so we've got some time to make to make other plans. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Phil Boy. <laughs> oh, please. I, you know, I, I love dumb comedies as much as the next guy. I really, really do. And I think the rest of the cast, Marina Baccarin and, and Rose Byrne and Jason Statham, how they got these guys. And please, Jude Law's in, in the American accent. American English accent is, uh, it's really, uh, there, there's a, there's a sneeze gag that I actually got a chuckle out of, but I think, I, I think, um, I don't know. I feel like I've seen this movie. Oh, I, yeah. I've seen Melissa McCarthy in it is the problem. Like, it's not just that I've seen this movie. I'm just, I, maybe I'm just tired. I want to see her do something, something a little, uh, different. Well, she did say Vincent recently. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's true. I have not seen that yet, so I'm, I, 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 I'll stop. So there you go. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's right. mine. So what's yours? Uh, okay, so I fell for Sean Penn again when I saw him. You know, sitting on the mountainside in the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh, I I think he is aged into his own sense of screen weight in my book, and, and I really like watching him on screen. So when I saw the trailer for his new film, The Gunman, uh, I, I got excited. Uh, coming this March, from director Pierre Morel and writer Don McPherson, The Gunman, it's a story of a former Special Forces officer on the run across Europe to clear his name, speaking of movies we've seen before. It mm. is this... It, it, it's... The problem is we've seen it, and, and we've seen it actually done really well. Uh, I, I think, though, this one, that it brings not only Sean Penn, but Idris Elba, Ray Winstone, and Javier Bardem uh, yeah. along for the ride. That, I think, uh, that that makes me even more interested. Pierre Morel uh, has got a long history as a camera operator and director of photography uh, back into the early 90s, but we know him more recently as director of the first Taken film uh, and uh, from Paris with Love. So he's, you know... One for two on those. Don McPherson doesn't have much to his credit recently, but uh, he was the pen behind 1998's The Avengers with Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman. Uma. Boy, that's a bummer. So I know, I know, right? So it sounds like <laughs> I'm not making a really very good case for the gunman given its pedigree here, but uh, the trailer is chock full of high-octane explosions and seriously brooding looks into the middle distance. So I'm confident that with the right application of popcorn, I'm going to have a terrific time at this film. Uh, opens March 20th, uh, 2015 in the U.S. What do you think? 
You know, I, I think it has some potential in there. I mean, I agree with you about uh, Sean Penn. I think he uh, really has just kind of grown into somebody I find just really interesting to watch on screen. Um, it definitely has an interesting cast. The the story, you know, I, I wasn't convinced that I was going to fall for the story. Uh, kind of like you felt with mine, I felt like this is one I'd seen before. Um, it does have some interesting elements, though. So, you know, I'm thinking maybe they can pull it off, though. You know, I think uh, for me, and, I, you know, we both love Javier Bardem, but uh, Idris Elba is a, a talent I am just, I, I am excited about every single thing he does now. I lo- He's another one that is just a fantastic uh, screen uh, icon for me. I think he's going to do really great stuff, so... Crossing my fingers that he'll be the next James Bond. And my, oh, would that be fantastic? That would be amazing. Oh, all right. Uh, okay, Andy. Yes. You need a good spanking. Ladies and gentlemen, we are privileged to witness one of our foremost scientists at work. However, to assure the complete success of this most intricate experiment... He must have absolute quiet. I repeat, absolute quiet. It shouldn't have done that. Who'd be a scientist? But if at first you don't succeed, try... Try... Try again. Mr. Hoskins, it's worked! I've done it! I've got to see Mr. Burnley! I've done it! I've done it! Stop him! What's the trouble? He's mad. That's the trouble. Alec Guinness, the screen's most versatile star, triumphantly augments his gallery of brilliant film portraits as the man in the white suit. He saw his great discovery as a force for good. It's more important than anything. It's going to astound the world. They saw in it a danger to his fellow men and branded it a threat to industry. We need control of this discovery. Complete control. If you want twice the amount in that contract, we will pay it. A quarter of a million? To suppress it. Yes. You're an irresponsible young idiot. Father, no. Nutson. And you're a pompous and ungrateful old ass. Oh. Sidney. Nutson. No, Father. Nutson. If you think I'd give my invention to you, you must be crazy. I wouldn't give it to you if you were the last man on earth. I wouldn't give it to you if you yes. went down on your bended knees and begged me for it. I won't stay in your house another minute. Andy, 1951, the man in the white suit. Mm-hmm. Same year as the Lavender Hill Mob. I know. How, how'd that happen? Busy year for uh, Mr. Guinness. And everybody. <laughs> right, and everybody. All these Ealing <laughs> studio people. They just, they were just crank busy, them out. Busy, busy. Yes, they do. Uh, so, okay. So this, I, I love this movie. I really do. Yeah. Uh, I first saw this film in college. It was part of a, a political science course Um and it felt it was one of those where it felt like at the time that the, the my prof was having a tough week and just sort of threw in the towel, and put on a movie to kind of let us have at it. <laughs> uh, but it was years later, and I, I heard this review by Andy Anatko at the Chicago Sun Times, and I gave gave it a second look, and I just fell in love with it. Uh, I I think this film, in its own way, is a a perfect movie. I think there are problems with it, sure, uh, but it is perfect the same way that a triangle is perfect, that each element in this film comes in such equal balance from these striking visuals to the performances to the sardonic wit and this never-ending chain of satire. Uh, 
in the script, and I just love it. It's not as straight-up funny, I don't think, as the Lavender Hill Mob or Kind Hearts and Coronets even. Uh, Its humor is much more subversive. The weight of it is shared by Alec Guinness, this misunderstood genius, uh, and textile titan Cecil Parker, and this cast of stereotypes straight off a Monopoly board. Uh, The story is really very simple. A a scientist invents a new fabric that can never be stained or torn and resists heat to some 300 degrees. And when word gets out, textile bosses at the top come down hard on him and labor rise up from the bottom to make sure this fabric never goes to manufacturing. And they all fear that if this miracle fabric goes to manufacturing and people start to use it, they'll never need to buy more clothes again. and, And all the mills will shut down and there will be chaos reign throughout the land. Uh, so the the man in the white suit ends up being this celebration of planned obsolescence. It's this thing that we're dealing with very much today, as much as, as McKendrick was dealing with through this script in 1951. He systematically lampoons this culture of invention and then manufacturing and then management and then leadership and then the stock market and prostitution and the press, and he does it. Uh, really so expertly that this film could just as easily have been telling the story of Silicon Valley in 2015 in place of London in the in the you know late 40s, early 50s. So I just had a ball watching this film, and I really, really think that more people need to see it. Amen. How'd you hear? I you I, know this is a film that makes me rant a little bit. I guess so. Well. This is the film, as as we mentioned in the past, this is the, the film that you mentioned to me when you said, hey, Andy, I've got this idea of doing a podcast. What do you think? Maybe we can talk <laughs> about this movie. And I'm like, it, I've never seen that movie before. Right. So I went and watched it. I was like, well, that's a good movie. So how would we do it? And, and then I, for some reason, we didn't talk about it until now. We kind of went <laughs> off on cre- – well, I think it was because we started creating these series. And yeah. that was just when we never you know, fit it into a series. And, uh, and uh, yeah, until, until now when we got it into this one. And, um, I, I mean, I have a wonderful time watching this film. I, there's something that I really enjoy about – uh, these early Ealing comedies that we're looking at that all have this uh, kind of stick it to the man or kind of anti-establishment feel to them, uh, which I, may have been just big in England at the time. Um, it, it, they all, so far, these three films all feel that way a little bit. You know, kind of there's these class systems that they're dealing with. There's, um, you know, just people uh, unhappy with kind of this, the the rigorous the uh, system that they're stuck in and they are trying to find their way out of it. And I, uh, I and then you have uh, Alec Guinness who, who it's, it's interesting how in this film he, he really plays like this, this uh, perfect rendition of a scientist who's just blind to the world entirely. Um, all he sees is his science. All he sees is the end game that he's trying to achieve uh, because he's an inventor and he wants to invent this thing and he wants once he does and succeeds he wants to get it out into the world and i think that's the amazing thing about how he plays this character is he's so he is so i don't want to say naive but i think blind is really the right word where he just nothing else matters the fact that sales uh, you know, he he doesn't even take into account the fact that people are going to stop buying clothes because they'll have this this uh, material that they can basically buy one outfit and will never need to shop again. 
And he's blind to that fact because he wants to get it out there. He's blind to the fact that the company will go out of business. He's blind to the fact that all of the workers and the unions, all of them will go out of business. And it really, it really, I, I find it very uh, touching that it's the uh, his little landlady at the end who uh, is the one who finally uh, kind of uh, hits him with that moment where it's just like, why don't you scientists leave well enough alone? Uh, you know, I, I all I have, I can't remember exactly what she says. I, I have it written down here somewhere. Um, yeah, what's, what, to, what what's about- to become of my bit of washing when right. there's no washing to do? And it's like that's you know that's her livelihood, and and it that's the moment that it kind of uh, hits him, which I find really touching. And uh, but then it's also so interesting when um, a few moments uh, later in the in the film. When he because his suit falls apart and it real everybody is excited because they realize that it, his his perfect uh, suit doesn't work. Um, he has that eureka moment again when he kind of you think that he figured out um, what he did wrong that time and he runs off probably to try it again. And so even though he had that moment of realization there with with the landlady, um, it's like now that that clue uh, popped into his head. It doesn't matter anymore, and he's back to just being the the inventor who just has to get it out there because that's what he does. And I think Alec Guinness is just brilliant uh, playing this type of character and does so good in this film, and as does everybody else. I think they all work so well uh, for this story. It's it's so much fun to watch, and you're right. I think more people should check this film out. I, you know, to your point on on Guinness, I think you're right. He plays this the genius perfectly. You know, he carries it out through this goofiness that is is really totally absent clumsiness, right? It makes him smart, yeah. but not quite so charming as we've seen him in some of the other films. Um, and and really, I think, highlights the danger. Like, he is an incredibly dangerous person in this film because he's absent some of the social deference uh, and awareness that comes from his incredible gift, right? The incredible gift of his science and his invention, uh, and but but still, even though we'd seen him sort of in the first few minutes of the film, he was hiding from the bosses around corners and behind doors. And the first words out of his mouth, they come in the form of this practice session in telling off his boss as he's being fired for the sixth time, seventh time, right. looking into a mirror. And it and it it becomes this really satisfying way to introduce us to this character because it captures. You know, both this his individual feigned confidence, but also this sort of collective fear of industry, fear of leadership, fear of judgment. And, and you know, while he doesn't have a lot of power in the beginning, uh, for the next 20 minutes, we have this great demonstration of the nature of ideas where where we have Sydney, who's now playing a really incredibly good natured laborer at a textile mill, like the happiest laborer on the mill. <laughs> right. And and there he is working again in the shadows to bring this invention to life, working in the corner, trying to work in subversion and secrecy. Uh, he, you know, I think he plays this so well, because as soon as he invents the thing, he gets it right, and this new fabric comes out, uh, he, he, you know, he's already, uh, he's ready to change the world, because he is, he is of the belief that new invention will change the world and some will find pain as a result. But they say the same thing of, you know, Henry Ford. They say the same thing of, of you know, you name any great inventor uh, who changed the face of industry uh, and they'll have said the same thing that Sidney 
would have said about him, that yes, it's going to close down textile mills, and you know what? The world will have to adjust. That's his perspective, and that comes straight in the face of every other class in this represented in this film. And I think it, they just do it really, really well. Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting to see how that plays out, and uh, just interesting to see how the different people react. And and uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of uh, enjoyable to see the the two classes who are typically fighting the uh, mill owners and the union workers uh, finally <laughs> coming together toward the end of the film as they realize they're on the same side. And those moments when they're just they're 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 fighting, but they're fighting about the same thing, and they have those realizations are great. And then like the car ride afterward, when uh, you know you've got their the 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 fancy posh cars from the mill owners, and all of the factory workers jump in so they can go pursue uh, Sydney. And you've got the you know the the girl grabs that the old man and pulls him in and hugs him while they're driving away. I mean it's <laughs> it's a great little blending of the of the two classes as they kind of come together as one to fight this this common foe, so to speak. It it's a one of the things I like so much about it is that it begs you to pick a side. Do you yeah. get that feeling as you're watching it? Well, yeah. I mean, you you definitely get the portrait of both sides. You get the portrait of the uh, the rich. Uh, kind of pompous uh, owners of the factory. And then you also get the portrait. I, I, I don't think you get quite as much of the portrait of the workers, but it's definitely there. And they, they have the people on both sides that you can identify with so that you can kind of, uh, yeah, you can kind of pick your side. Which one do you, do you want to uh, side with? And uh, it, it, I think it does work that way a little bit. Well, I think it does. And, you know, I would, I would argue that I think we do get a, a, a really solid um, perspective of the workers, particularly as represented by his friend. And I, I, I have trouble gauging their relationship. Bertha, um, you know, she is a, a friend at the mill and lives in the same boarding house, I guess. Um, in any case, there's a conversation on the stairs where he is so excited. You know, he's escaped and now he's on the way to Manchester to to get on the, the you know, news media and in the papers and tell them the story. And she says, you know, he says, you know, she says, wait, whose side are you on? And he said, I'm on, you know, I'm on your side. You know, we're on the same side. We want to stop, the, you know, we want to get the word out, you know. And she says, no, <laughs> we don't. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> we really, really don't, uh, you know, because, and I think that moment is another one uh, akin to the moment that you described with, you know, with Mrs., uh, the woman who runs the house and uh, does the wash. Miss mm-hmm. Johnson, I think, is that her name? Uh, in any case, they, you know, we get that sense that he is coming face to face with the people who would be directly harmed by his work, and yet because he's so dangerous, because he he doesn't carry, it doesn't stick. He doesn't carry that sense of awareness of the impact of his invention, and he he wants to. He it just feels like a mob to him. It's just an angry mob that doesn't understand his genius. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think that it it comes across that way. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's interesting also in the way that it's it's uh, uh, that relationship is, is you you kind of get from Daphne on the other side, Joan Greenwood's character, um, as kind of the the she's I mean she's the daughter of Burnley, uh, uh, Alan Burnley, uh, played by Cecil Parker, the head of the factory where uh, Sydney ends up and spends the last part of the film. Um, but she's definitely on his side, and and uh, I think that 
they play that moment really well when she kind of um, agrees to all of the 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 big wigs to you know kind of prostitute herself out and, and take some money in order to get him to uh, to join them, join the forces, you know, join the dark side, so to speak. And it's a it's a great scene right there, the way that they play her character, and um, you get to kind of see you know the darkness of that side. But then how he he says no, I I can't do it, I can't run away with you. Um, and then she turns and is like, oh, thank goodness. I was going to slap you if I, if you said yes or whatever. And it's great. It's great to see that there's somebody, uh, I, I think they needed to give us somebody who's kind of on his side, whichever side it was on, whether it was on the side of the, the, uh, the, the factory workers or on the side of the owners, um, just to kind of, you know, have another outlet for him. And I, it's interesting that it's the, the daughter of the factory owner, um, because, you know, her world, even though she's kind of, you know, in the world of the factory owners, I mean, you know, she lays about, does her nails. It's like In the middle not, of complete chaos. Right. <laughs> she's not really a worker. She just, she's not really tied into it. She's just very much on the outside. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of just fun to see her perspective of all of that, you know. Were you as surprised as I was to see a scene like the, the one that, that uh, you know, demonstrates the prostitution in this film? I, I I thought it was really interesting, and you know we've talked about uh, uh, good old uh, Dougie Slocum mm-hmm. on a bunch of different shows now. I this was the first one where I really noticed a uh, uh, first one of these uh, these uh, uh, Guinness films that we've been talking about where he really was playing with the light a little bit. That scene got really dark, like there was yeah. a lot of shadows. Uh, Joan Greenwood was really kind of um, hidden in shadow for a lot of that, and it was very kind of mysterious and a little haunting the way that they filmed that to make her seem like a mistress of the dark as she was coming on to him, and and those little flits of the eyes as she would like kind of look it up, look up at him to see if he was buying it and all that stuff. It was. Um, it was. It, I thought it was a pretty edgy scene, and I and I was like, "Gosh, this is really." And I couldn't remember the movie from when I saw it three years ago. I didn't remember how it played out, and I really liked that change that happened after he said, "No, I can't run away with you," and I. I it made me. You know, I was happy to see that uh, she really had just been playing these guys the whole time. Well, I but, think so, and I I found myself really surprised that that sequence. It actually made it into the film in the first place, right? I mean, it just seemed like uh, an incredibly provocative scene to to hit the the kind of Ealing screen in the 1950s, you know, dealing with just sort of the conservative film board. Uh, I was really surprised, particularly because it, it's super creepy. I mean, it is these old men are propositioning this woman in the creepiest of creepy old man ways, right? I hardly need to tell you. You are a very attractive girl, you know? Uh, And and it's so creepy that when she calls them out on it and she says, this is the line that actually I'm surprised made it into the film. Now, I haven't had much experience with these sorts of things, but I've come to understand that they were comparatively well paid. (laughs) What else could she be talking about than, you know, than when she says these sorts of things and she gets 5,000 pounds out of them. And it's the oldest of the old men that actually uh, agrees to terms. Everybody else is futzing around. And her father is on the phone the entire time. He never has any any sense that this has happened, uh, you know, until much, much later. So. 
for me, it was just such a surprise in this film, in this era, from this team, that this sort of thing would end up on the screen. Uh, and and I was, I was super pleased that they went through with it, that they got it. As you say, it was beautifully shot. I mean, it was really beautifully shot. You definitely got the the conflict that exists between these two sides and her position, uh, as she is positioned physically between the door that takes her into you know the attic where she can meet with Sydney and these guys who are looming over her in their their sort of creeptastic way. Uh, I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, uh, and just everything about that scene really uh, stood out. And also, just to kind of, you know, play off of that, once they've, um, uh, once she ends up helping him escape, and uh, she's just lounging in the room, it, it is very much kind of just, I mean, you would almost expect kind of a cigarette in her hand, almost kind of like that, oh. that post, post-coital sort of <laughs> cigarette. Nailed it. <laughs> Yeah. Totally. And I think, you know, it, for I think she ended up pushing the boundary of, um, you know, what you can do to seduce on screen at the time, you know, in the next in the following sequence when she, you know, she snuggles right up to him and, you know, she's pushing her chest up to him and leaning her face down against his neck and breathing on him very closely. I mean, it's really it's very sexy. And uh, and, and when she stands up and walks away and he has such a, a sort of asexual response, you know, I mean, there's right. no uh, there's there's really no reaction even after, you know, she advances on him. Um, that you really get a sense again of just his position, uh, and and just how strong his position is. Yeah, absolutely. Really powerful sequence. <laughs> so yeah, fun. It really um, is. So you know, one of the things you 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 already called out the end of the film. You know, as he walks away. Um, uh, you know, I think it's it's an interesting. Um, you know, as he walks away from his now seventh eighth job, uh, and he does so having just discovered. Because it ends sort of sadly, right? You, the the suit uh-huh, falls yeah. apart. It, it it falls apart on him, and you think, oh my gosh, you know, this this is the big lesson that we've been leading up to. This is when he's been presented with these data points along the way. The worker and the old grandmother and everybody is presenting their case to him about why he has to be more aware of the impact of his invention on the world, that this is going to really hurt a lot of people. And and we've even seen, um, you know, Alan Burnley, Cecil Parker's Alan Burnley, he has changed over the course of this film. He is really, you know, we've seen him evolve from this really pompous, you know, old man. His, his position has softened. Uh, he now becomes sort of a, a fighter for Sydney, and, and uh, you know he's he's trying to find a way to to be an, an advocate and and a uh, sort of a mediator at the same time. And then the suit falls apart as the angry mob. Thank goodness we had an angry mob in this film. I don't think we could go three for three without <laughs> an angry mob. Uh, but the angry mob is pulling the suit, literally pulling the threads off of him until he's standing in his underwear and his shirt and tie. Uh, and and we imagine that is a, a position of humiliation, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's the sense that you get until he's fired and he walks out the street just a few minutes later and he has this this stroke of brilliance where he thinks, now I know why it was unstable. And that light in his eye turns on again and you know he's off to do this again and get it right somewhere else. And so, in fact, Sidney is the one character, I think, that we see as all these other characters are moving around him who doesn't actually change at all in this film. Yeah, right. He comes close. Right. <laughs> but, but you know, all he needs is that, uh, that kernel 
to uh, to kind of get him back on track, and and he kind of forgets everything that he was learning and just jumps back into being kind of the scientist again. Exactly, and isn't that isn't that interesting? I mean, we don't talk about this a whole lot, I think, but you know, when we look at at the nature of of you know protagonist characters and as they're you know we want them to change the film right we want them to grow as we get to the other and i think this is one of those films that is fun to call out because you know the main character the sort of hero character of the film really doesn't he's he's very much a machine as he works you know a gear in in the film and and serves a very clear purpose but everybody else is changing around him and i think that's just a, a another really interesting facet of the film yeah, it's and it's it's tricky to write a script like that where the the protagonist doesn't necessarily change. I mean, there might be some growth, um, but sometimes you'll have a protagonist who does remain steadfast over the course of the film, and they end up changing those around them. And uh, it's definitely a a strong way to tell the story, and it works in his case for sure because he definitely is a um, you know just a character that I think uh, that type of character, that inventor character. I mean, it really is one that can. Uh, can really stand the test of time. I mean, this is a story that we've heard time and time again. I mean, this is about, you know, this, this white suit, this, that, that he makes, but we've seen it with, you know, the, uh, the, you know, when Tucker made his cars or the, 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 you know, the, um, the car that could go for X number of miles with a, you know, a drop of gasoline or the electric car. There's, there's always things that people are inventing, trying to make something better that other people out there try to uh, try to quash to keep it from getting out there and uh, because it's going to destroy their industry. And I, I think it is just, it, it is a, it almost, you could say it is an archetype, uh, archetypal character of this, uh, of this, uh, this uh, person that is focused solely on one thing and will do uh, everything in their power to accomplish it. And then, kind of not even barely paying attention to the people in in his wake, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's very much of this uh, Elon Musk vibe to him. Mm-hmm. You know, if he were still around, he'd finish the suit, he'd have already invented the perfect electric car, and uh, we'd be in space doing this podcast right now. <laughs> Man, that's a uh, That'd be fun. There were, <laughs> there were a ton of really fun characters uh, in this, or actors that popped up in this film. Oh yes. Uh, who who strikes you? Uh, I just love seeing Michael Goff pop up. Uh, it's so strange to me to see a young version of him because it is weird. I you know, and it's just me being. Uh, I mean, you know, he's an actor who's has 181 credits on IMDb. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, I feel bad that I've seen so few of his films, but mostly I know him, uh, as, as Alfred in, uh, in the Batman <laughs> films. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I certainly have always loved him in that role, but yeah, it's just like seeing the young version of him as this, uh, as this, uh, mill owner, I think was just, it was so much fun to see. It was, he was, he was so, uh, what's the word? Limber? <laughs> like I'm just really not used to to seeing him uh, as as just active as he right. was as when he's Alfred he's he's you know he's pretty stiff he is pretty he's, stiff he's, I mean this an old guy this was in his first you know five years of uh, his acting career so it was right yeah. at the beginning yeah it was really fun to see him he's he's definitely when you see him that young it's uh it, it's a shock because you know you know him where do you know him 
He just needs a tray. If he would have a tray. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that he was in The Serpent and the Rainbow. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch that again to check him out. And Out of Africa. So, I mean, he's killer. He definitely is somebody who's been in a lot of stuff. Top Secret. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. I, well, I knew he did a lot of the Tim Burton stuff yeah, later after Burton. after Batman. But, um, yeah, it's one of those things where I know I've seen him in other things, but Alfred is what I forever will know him as. <laughs> Anybody else uh, jump out at you? You really... Uh... Well, we already talked about Joan, Joan Greenwood as Daphne. Mm-hmm. I just think that she's great. I just, you know, she's easy to fall in love with when you watch her because there's just something that's so, so British about her. This is my favorite um, performance of hers. I, I, you know, she just strikes me as, or she portrays it as so much more aware of her surroundings and where that she is, you know, she is this woman who is stuck in this, like between all of these, you know, warring. Pieces, and she's the only one who really has it together uh, yeah. to know, you know, what's going on between the the lot of them. And so, I really enjoy her her performance here. Yeah, I do too. She's just absolutely fantastic. Um, Cecil Parker, I just love watching him. I think he's so great as this uh, kind of uptight, uh, flustered British businessman. He just plays that so well. And he was. He, we'll see him. We'll talk about him next week in uh, the Lady Killers. Um, but the lady vanishes, I think, is is where I most remember him. Uh, he was in that, and I think uh, under Capricorn with Hitchcock. But uh, yeah, lady vanishes is the one that uh, his face just is uh, uh, burned into my brain from that film. Absolutely, I don't think there was anybody else actually off the top after Michael Goff. I uh, Goff, I I think I was uh, I was satisfied. Yeah, I mean uh, Vita Hope, who played uh, who played Bertha. Mm-hmm. She's just one of those people that I recognize, although I don't know what else I may have seen her uh, in. She didn't, I mean, she she started in the 30s. Oh, she was in Usherette in the 39 Steps. Look at that. So I maybe I recognize her from that. But, um, I mean, looking through her filmography, I don't know if I've seen her in anything else, but she just seems familiar. She only worked from the 30s to the 60s. Um, only the 30s to the 60s. I know. Just, she's a slacker. Yeah, but I'm with you. She's uh, she is definitely one that I I just know I know the face. But yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and that's it for the the cast. I mean, there's obviously a lot of other great faces in there and everything, but those are the ones that uh, stood out to me. How did uh, how did Alexander McKendrick do this round? He both wrote and uh, directed. Yeah, this is uh, it's based on a play by Roger McDougall who uh, is actually Alexander McKendrick's cousin. And so they, they co-wrote it along with John Dighton. They wrote the screenplay and ended up getting nominated for an, an adapted uh, screenplay Oscar, although they, they lost to The Bad and the Beautiful. But the, um, I, you know, I think McKendrick did a great job with the film. I mean, like I said, already mentioning Doug Slocum and his cinematography, I think... This there was a, a level of the uh, the way they were playing with some of the light and everything in this film that I, I thought was really nice, and I, I just liked the way that McKendrick directed a lot of the scenes, the fight scenes. I thought had some fun uh, fun choreography to them. Um, the uh, yeah, you know, the, the fight and the chases, the chases and the chases, yeah. And the uh, and even just like the uh, the musical nature of the little machine that uh, Sidney invents to kind of create his his uh, magic fabric. I think it's just so much fun. It kind of ends up kind of 
getting this fun little beep boop beep boop beep sort of beat yeah. you know, thing going on and it's just kind of it i don't know it reminds me of something that i would have seen as on sesame street yeah and you know what's funny about that it's it's that it's it's you know he's making a perfect fabric and the the machine to make the perfect fabric ends up having a perfect meter to its bubbles and beeps and and whirs you know it's something right. you can like tap your feet to it it is perfect and the lighting is perfect you know they they end up flashing lights across it you know you can see these little spots going across it to to sort of indicate you know um movement on the machine and i think it ends up being really really cool and i'm i am deeply curious how they ended up making the um making you know what what sort of trickery they use to make the the um uh to make the liquid uh, cloud so quickly mm. that's really cool like yeah little, little sweet little chemistry trick i love chemistry tricks on very film. fun yeah. all that stuff was fun uh yeah but mckendrick uh he you know he he has uh been in ealing studios for a few years he did whiskey galore in 49 and then he's going to be doing the lady killers which we'll be talking about next week yeah. um and then he left england um, because uh, ealing studios uh, the the film business there kind of slowed a little bit, so he he went back to America where he's from, and uh, directed uh, Sweet Smell of Success, which actually we're going to be talking about later, I think in June. Yes, indeed. And um and then he ended up uh, going back and forth between England and uh, and the U.S. and ended up just teaching. I think he ended up kind of the uh, the head over at uh, California Institute of the Arts for a little bit. So, and uh, sadly passed. Ninety-three. Ninety-three, yep. yeah. Uh, music by Benjamin Frankel. Mm-hmm. Uh, another really brilliantly frenetic orchestral score. I had a great time with the music. I think it fits very, very well, particularly through the chase scenes. Yeah, it does work well. And I don't know how much, if he had any hand in the kind of the tones for the... Uh, for the uh, uh, beep the, the beep boop the 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 machine, um, but it, like like we said, it, it did have this musical nature to it. But it, it, just the the way that the music all worked, I mean, sometimes it did feel like it kind of evolved from that sound mm-hmm. a little bit. So I, I liked that quite a bit. You know, I wanted to talk just a little bit about the suit and you know the nature of this film. You know, obviously it was in black and white. Mm, uh, yes. But, you know, we, we talked so much about Slocum. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, once again, the visuals in this film are fantastic. There are some wonderful, um, you know, examples of great composition. The suit, uh, the gimmick of the suit, right? It's that it's, you know, it's this newfangled fabric is that it's slightly <laughs> radioactive. Right. Which means that it glows for a while. So when you put it on, we've got Guinness running around the city in in a bright, bright, white, glowing white suit. And it, it is on its own. It's very, very funny. Uh, but I, I really wonder if it would play as well in color. I was thinking about, you know, what what if somebody were to take this and, and remake it, you know, and, and just keep with the suit as the metaphor. Um, you know, part of the reason I think it works so well visually is that the white is such a brilliant point on screen that we can't help but laugh at the gag moments, right? Sydney hiding in the bushes trying to get a bag on himself, for example. <laughs> you know, I think the color treatment uh, or a remake would just remove a really key element of the storyline, which is the, you know, the contrast between the highlights uh, and the shadows um, relating to this suit. Uh, and and I think he had a lot to work with, but it's a movie that you know maybe this one of the reasons that it hasn't been remade in this way is that um, you just can't quite capture the magic in color. 
Yeah, I think that's probably uh, 100% on the mark. I mean, this was an interesting one where this this uh, the suit they had, uh, from what I found, they had no fewer than 14 different uh, suits that they would alternate. Because even though in the story, it's this suit that uh, it, it resists dirt and uh, can't be destroyed, obviously in the real world it's not going to be that way so they had to have a whole bunch of backups because it would get dirty because it was this brilliant white <laughs> and so they would have to change uh, Alec Guinness uh, periodically to make sure that it always looked pristine there were a couple of them that um, were treated luminously so they would actually glow um, when the light would hit him and so you'd, you'd get that extra brilliant and those I think were the ones when when it would show like his face and his face was obscured in the darkness a little bit but the suit was just popping on the screen mm-hmm. And um, and then of course there uh, there were the ones that they had to destroy at the end, and they had to figure out a way to actually tear these things apart. And they they went through all these different tests trying to find a suit that they could um, that they could treat so that when people grabbed it, it would rip apart the way that it did. And they were having a really difficult time trying different acids and all sorts of things. And I guess in the end they found a um, uh, they basically built the suit out of uh, paper tissue. And they they said it was incredibly difficult to do, and it actually the suit cost um, ten times as much as a regular suit cost to make it out of this uh, this paper tissue. Um, and then they and they had to ba- make gosh, how many of them did they have to make? I can't remember. They had to make nine paper suits in order to do all the retakes and the different shots. And it had to be so carefully done with a just a big opening, so that Alec Guinness could basically kind of step into it. They would kind of, you know, kind of put it over him, and then they would just start shooting and tear it up. <laughs> that was a that was a a, a pretty good sequence. Uh, That's when it's great. It makes me think of that the horrible kick the kid Hollywood movie that I can't ever remember the name that I've totally blocked the name of. That we did. <laughs> what was that? I, I don't know. You're not telling helping me with the kick the kid thing. Oh, you know, there was that beating in the parking lot at the end. Everybody goes crazy. It was a movie about Hollywood that had. Oh, uh, oh, uh, Day of the Locust. Yeah, Day of the Locust. Yeah, right. It reminded it had that sort of that sort of <laughs> vibe, but not quite even so hateful. But it was that that sort of vibe at the end when the mob catches him. What's so great about that though? is that's the last thing that you're expecting because you know, you have this mob surrounding him. You, you think that it's a perfect suit and uh, it it just plays so nicely because um, you just, you just don't see it coming. You think that something else is going to happen. Then all of a sudden the guy grabs him and just a handful of the suit comes off in his hand. And that I think is such a great surprise. It is. I I love, you know, I, I think that gets to why another reason I love the movie so much is that the appreciation of science, you know, that, that, for example, he at the beginning uh, runs into the young Miss Burnley and says, you know, do you know about the ionization of polymers? And she says, no. Uh, you know, I, and, and then she goes and dives into books to learn about them, right? She goes right. and educates herself in science so that she can have a conversation with both the scientist, Sidney, and her father and, and talk about, you know, what is the rational point of ionizing polymers? Why would we want to do this? And it ends up really becoming a, a tentpole figure in in leading to the resolution of this thing, Um that uh, and and the fact then that we go in and the script and the the suit falls apart because the radioactive particles are unstable. 
<laughs> I think it's right. just it's just a brilliant. It's like the a punchline to the end of a great science joke that they start <laughs> in the first act, and I just love it. Yeah, I completely agree. So remember the scene when uh, um, Sydney needs to escape, and so he descends down the side of the house on a like a piano wire. <laughs> yes, he repels. Right, right on the side of supposedly the on a string of the thread of the magic thread. Right, exactly. So I, when I watch this, I always think that it's like a it basically kind of an old school effects shot where it's matted in and he's actually just walking backward, but they're the camera is sideways and they're filming it. But it point of fact, it, they actually did did this. Um, it's a real stunt, and they actually had Alec Guinness descending the side of a house on a length of piano wire. And I guess that he was not too uh, thrilled about this. He said, you know, it, all it takes is one tiny kink in that wire, and it'll snap, and I will plummet down to the ground. Um, well, I guess they said, no, 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 it's fine. They checked the wire, and it was fine. And they, they actually lowered him down the side of the building, and they filmed him doing that. And uh, I guess the wire did break, but he was just only about four feet off the ground, and so he, he didn't go very far. And um, Alec Guinness's comment afterward was, uh, or he said in his autobiography, he said, no one apologized. They rarely do in films. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alec. Uh, just a wonderful, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they got the shot. That's all they cared about. That's right. It Which sounds is so true. Really true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Are you comfortable? Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> right. Call your mother. Which also harkens back to uh, the uh, the day of the locust. Oddly, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Oh, so some people died on set. As long as we got the shot. Did we get, did we get the shot? We had the insurance, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, for this uh, film, for me, I think this is, there are so many reasons to watch this film, but I think it really is the most, uh, you know, it's, I, it, it is the most palatable look at a really contemporary problem told in a very charming way. Uh, and uh, I just, I just love all the 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 way that it approaches uh, the culture of innovation and manufacturing and labor, and and I think it's a it's a complex uh, political um, political caper film that is is really entertaining to watch. And of course, the the you know Guinness is great, but it's the it's I think the the heart of the film that makes it really worth watching. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think that uh, I mean that would be my recommendation. Is this this is a great film that uh, has an interesting message that I think still stands the test of time. It doesn't feel dated in any way, shape, or form. Um, it, it's still a lot of fun to watch. It's a very fun movie. It's you're right. It's not as funny as as the other ones, but there's there's something about the um, the edginess of the story. I feel it's 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 trying to actually do something a little bit different and actually say something a little grander than the other films. So uh, yeah, I definitely would uh, recommend this one. It's uh, you know, BFI put it in their uh, best uh, best 100 British films. Actually, all these films we're talking about um, these Ooh, all yeah. these links are on the list. Um, so it's it's definitely one worth checking out. I say we rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can see how all, our, all of our films are stacking up. Uh, we're getting up there. Really getting up there. Uh, so let's see if uh, well, let's see if it cracks the what? Jeez. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say 45. 45. All right. Let's see if it does. 
the man in the white suit or oh brother where art thou man in the white suit really yep well i have a feeling you're gonna fight me on that one so i'll just (laughs) (laughs) i say that with the firm confidence of a 10 (laughs) that's right i I could tell i could tell the man in the white suit or city of god I'm going to fight myself on this one, Andy. Mm. Jeez. Yeah, I, I, yeah, because I think I'm City of God on this one. Yeah, I think I'm City of God on this one, too. All right. Oh, well. Uh, well. The Man in the White Suit or 28 Days Later? Man in the White Suit. I would say the Man in the White Suit also. The Man in the White Suit or The Prestige? I would say the Man in the White Suit. So would I. The Man in the White Suit or The Big Lebowski? <laughs> I would say the Big Lebowski. I would say the Man in the White Suit. <laughs> Shall we? Uh, okay. All right, ready? all right. Here we go. All right. One, two, two three. Scissors. Rock. Damn. <laughs> the Man in the White Suit or being there. The Man in the White Suit. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Man in the White Suit. Why that one not being there? I do love being there, but I think being there is, uh, it, it, for me, again, if I go to, what movie would I just want to put on? Uh, as much as I love being there, it is it requires more work for me, and I think that the, the sort of charm and wit and, and the fun of watching McKendrick and, uh, um, you know, Guinness lampoon so many industries that I follow so closely today, um, I, it, it is just, it's kind of a no-brainer. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. All right, I think that yeah, because yeah, it does. It does seem like a little bit of work sometimes on being there, as much as I love it. Yeah, the man in the white suit or an American werewolf in London. Man in the white suit. Hmm. I don't know, man. Really? Werewolf London. Werewolf London. But hey, we've got <laughs> <laughs> go Britain. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I have to go back. I, I have to tell you, this is why I wanted to start this podcast with you. How can I <laughs> vote right. any other way? I know. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. This is like you giving me all my Brazil pity votes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There we go. Number 48. Oh, you're you got, kidding You got me. close. You got oh. close, man. If you beat me on Big Lebowski, it would have been there. Yeah. Well, this is on you then. It is. You have to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> uh, that was great fun. I uh, that really was a treat. I'm so glad we did this film, and uh, it, it is just really fun to watch. Thank you for uh, thanks for for hanging in there with me on this. I guess we could sort of close up shop on the show now. That's right. We piloted <laughs> out of our system. Yeah. But, uh, uh, if only we didn't have three years worth of movies on our list to talk about. <laughs> No, I know. Uh, where do we go from here? Well, like I mentioned, well, we're going to be uh, doing another Alexander uh, McKendrick uh, film. We're going to do Lady Killers. The Lady Killers. I look forward to that, too. I haven't seen that in a very, very long time. I've only seen the remake, so I, uh, I'm i looking forward to seeing it just so I can see. Because, you know, like uh, uh, John Patton Ford mentioned when we talked uh, to him about uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets, um, 
it's you know it's it sounds like it's pretty much kind of a shot shot for shot remake so i'm really curious to see how this one holds up i i mean i'm one of those people i'm a tom hanks fan i have a you know despite the problems of the uh, cohen's lady killers i still enjoy it um even if it's one that I don't uh, go back to regularly. So I, right. I am excited to see this one and just kind of see how similar the two of them are. Me too. Uh, and so that's where we're, uh, we're going to go. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, until next week, i got to go to bed. All right. I'm going to study up on uh, polymerizing some amino acid residues. is a three star which uh, which we should say is officially the bottom of the barrel there is it goes no deeper than three stars there are no one and two star reviews for this film that's a great thing right absolutely shut shut up stop talking (laughs) (laughs) my uh mine is from uh movie buff in las vegas nevada a clever premise for a comedy but paced much too slow, you might need someone to wake you up to find out how it ends. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's as hateful as they get. Man, yeah. So, movie buff. Well, maybe it's just having an off day. Yeah. Know, you what's yours? Or just we're sleepy. <laughs> maybe he has, he has a sleep problem. Maybe he needs some right. sort of a sleep test. That's right. And he's got Sleep apnea. 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 Mm-hmm. I think it's an apnea. Well, mine is a five-star review. Oh, straight to the top. By D. Pedden, who says, What a wonderful film. Very amusing and unique performances from a cast of characters. The plot is very unusual. Excellent dress and sets. Mmm. I like how Dee Pedden kind of just tried to hit a wide variety of things. You know, the cast, the plot, the, the even going to the dress and the, the sets. The dress and the sets. I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Well done. And the plot is very unusual. I think that's a very interesting way to review the plot for this. Yes, and thorough. Very unusual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very thorough. Uh, interesting choice of words and, and very thorough with them. Very amusing and unique performances. And the plot is very unusual. I'd like to see... Her review of Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> let can we request? <laughs> let's, let's start requesting. Would you go watch this and write a review? I loved your review. <laughs> I loved your review of the man in the white suit. Have you reviewed any other movies about clothes? <laughs> Is there a movie about hats? Because I'm interested in hat films. <laughs> I would love your take on them, D. Pedden. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. 
and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.